Amen. That's an that's a classic song. We won't call it old. It's a classic song. Thank you, guys, for and <clears throat> Stan for leading us in that. And thank you, Wilma, for playing. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Genesis 13. We're going to look at chapter 13 and chapter 14 uh, as we think about the flip side of what we looked at a week ago, which was Lot and the choice he made when Abram gave him the choice of where he wanted to go. Remember, Lot chose to go toward Sodom, and he, we, we followed the progression of how he began by kind of pitching his tent near Sodom, and then we moved over to chapter 19, and by then he was living in Sodom, and he was sitting at the gate to the city of Sodom, and how all of that transpired and progressed. Now we see the flip side. We see Abram, Abraham, and what happened in that same story and just after that uh, in his life. Uh, he chose to be content in the will of God. And I think that there is a great lesson here for us as we go through life and as we face different decisions and circumstances, and that is that we need to be willing to be content in the will of God. So let me refresh the, uh, it's basically in some ways the same passage. Uh, part of this is beginning with chapter 13, beginning at verse Eight, and then we'll uh, eventually move to chapter 14. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. Now, this is not the point of the sermon, but right here is one reason why we believe that the, the land of Israel belongs to the people that God gave it to, still to this day. And that is, this is the genesis of why as as a nation, the United States has stood for the, the nation of Israel. That that land, they're not occupying that land. That's their land. God gave it to them. Because it says explicitly here, I give to you and your descendants, how long? Forever. And so that's the basis 
for why we believe that that land belongs to the people of Israel. Anyway, that's a parenthesis. Continuing. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. As was something he frequently did, he would build an altar, indicating his faith, his love of God, his worship of God. He wasn't perfect. He made some uh, poor decisions sometimes, and God saved him from himself, as he does us many times, but he was a man of great faith. And God loved him, and God blessed him in a great and wonderful way. Faith in the living God is a powerful influence in a person's life. The contrast between a life lived by faith and one lived without faith is clearly seen here between these two men, uh, Abram and Lot. Lot was a man who chose the world, largely, uh, he was a believer, as we saw last week from what the Scripture says, but he was not a believer who was in the center of God's will by any stretch of the imagination. He was a worldly believer. And he was more concerned much of the time with what the world thought than what God thought. And yet, in God's mercy and grace, when it was time to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he would not destroy the city until Lot. Righteous Lot is what the New Testament describes him as, righteous by comparison. It wasn't saying he was a perfectly righteous man. He wasn't. But righteous compared to Sodom and Gomorrah that he was about to destroy. He brought Lot out, allowed Lot to escape before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But here is a totally different situation with Abram. And Abram was a man who put the will of God for his life above everything else. Lot was a man who put material prosperity first. That's why he chose the direction that he went in. The truth is, Lot, even though Abram said, you choose first, he should have refused to do that, shouldn't he? Abram was his elder. Abram was his uncle. And even though Abram gave him that privilege to choose, he should have said, no, you are my elder. You choose. It's your right to choose first. But he was too full of himself and about himself. He saw the, the cities of the plain, and he thought that's where the money was. That's where prosperity was, and he chose that for himself. Abram had taken the initiative and said to Lot, I don't want any strife. You go ahead and choose. There their possessions had grown so large, their herdsmen were getting into it with each other, and he said, it's time to separate, I'm going to let you choose. And that was a tremendously gracious thing for Abram to do. But it wasn't just gracious. Abram did it because he trusted God. He didn't feel like he had to manufacture anything. He didn't feel like he had to try to arrange anything. 
He was willing to let Lot choose where he would go and he would be where God wanted him to be. He had that much faith, that much trust in God that he was not trying to hang on to control of that situation. He believed God was in control. He generously provided Lot the opportunity to make the choice. Lot made that choice as we saw last week. And Abram was left to live in the hills of Judah with his flocks. And at the time it seemed like Lot had gotten the better of the situation. The end of the deal was better for him than it was for Abram. He probably, I mean I don't know if Lot laughed about it to himself as he went his way. But he probably felt like he had really come out on the long end of the stick. But he hadn't, had he? He hadn't at all. Because he was not concerned about what God wanted, but Abram was. He had a contented heart. Abram had a contented heart through the whole process. So the first thing to really see in verses 8 to 18 that we read here, faith brings contentment with God's will. The proposition that Abram laid before Lot, giving him the first choice, was really an expression of Abram's commitment to the will of God. He trusted that whatever happened, whatever choice Lot made, he'd be fine with the other land because that would mean he was where God wanted him to be. That's a lesson for us to learn in life. We sometimes get so worked up about situations that we have to make choices about And we, if we're not careful, we'll try to rush ahead of God or manufacture something that isn't really there or certainly something that isn't what God desires. We want it so bad, we want it to be what God wants because we want it that we can try to force the situation. But Abram gives us a beautiful example of just being content with what God gives him. And so he was willing to let Lot go to the land that looked like it was the most prosperous and the best place to be, and he would go to the land that, you know, was not what many would have chosen. But he believed God was in control. And we should always remember that. Why why do you think he, he had that kind of faith? Well, remember, Abram was the one who had led the expedition from Haran, right? He was the more powerful of the two between he and Lot. But yet he generously chose to forego his own rights and to give Lot the first choice. He had acted in faith before. And he had also tried to manufacture things before. Remember when he went to Egypt and he lied about? He had done that before too. He'd learned from both that God was in control and that God could be trusted. His will would be what was best. And so two things to to take from this. One is trust God to work out His will in the circumstances of life. Trust God to work out His will in the circumstances of life. Of life, he was confident that where that he was where he was because God had put him there. Have you? Do you have that feeling? I hope you do. Where you are right now in your life, where you're living, 
where you're working, what you're doing with your life. I hope you have the sense, this is where God has put me. And that makes a great difference. It enables you to be content no matter the circumstances you find yourself in. I mean, it doesn't mean that every day is easy, but you have the sense, this is where God wants me to be. I'm doing what God wants me to do right now. It doesn't mean God won't lead you somewhere else someday or, or have something else for you to do. But right now, I'm doing what God wants me to do. You can be content in the will of God. And you can trust God to work out His will in your circumstances. The thing is, sometimes when we have God's direction, we don't see how it's all going to work out. I mean, when he left when he left Haran to go where God wanted him to go, he didn't know where he was going to end up. He didn't know how it was all going to work out. But he knew that God was leading him. He took the step of faith that God put before him. Leave. Get up. Go. That's what he did. And then God showed him step by step where he needed to be. Would he have ever ended up in the promised land if he hadn't been willing to get up and, and leave? No. If he hadn't taken the first step, he would have never taken all those other steps. We have to be willing to take the steps that God is asking us to take today. And then we can see the rest of it as time progresses, as we obey him step by step and day by day. And that's what I mean by trust God to work out his will in the circumstances of life. He rarely shows us the end from the beginning. He just doesn't work that. He sees the end from the beginning, but he rarely shows us that. And that's, what, that's why it requires faith, see? You have to trust God. And he, he wants to see if we will walk with him and trust him. Abram had discovered through his venture into Egypt that the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. And so he learned some uh, things the hard way, just like we do, but he did learn. Now, it didn't mean he wouldn't make similar mistakes later. He did some of the same kinds of things later. You know, whatever we grapple with as our weak spot, it tends to rear its head over and over again. And so... Just because you have learned a lesson and overcome it at a given point in time, it doesn't mean you won't face it again somewhere down the road. And that's the way temptation works. But do notice something here about Abram. Even though he failed in a number of ways along the way, he's in the roll call of faith, and God blessed him in a wonderful way. So when you fail, when you have that, whatever that is, that is your great weakness. It may be your temper. It may be a particular kind of, of uh, uh, habit or something that, that tends to rear its head in your life. When you fail, it doesn't mean that you're finished. It doesn't mean that God is finished with you. Just like Abram can learn, we can learn. And then we get up and we let God lead us on to the next step. And that's what he did here over and over again. And God loved him and blessed him immeasurably. 
God was able to exercise his sovereign will in the circumstances of Abram's life to bring him to where he wanted him to be. So trust God to work out his will in the circumstances of life. Doesn't mean that every circumstance is a good thing. But God can take all of the circumstances and bring good out of it to accomplish his will in your life. And that's what he, ten that's what he does over and over again. And then a second thing to learn from this, trust that the will of God is good. Trust that the will of God is good. I, I, it hurts my heart when I encounter Christians, and I'm not jumping on them. It, it's just something people, we grapple with sometimes. I think some people more than others. But many times Christians are, begin, are tempted to begin to doubt the goodness of God based on a circumstance or an experience. And it's just that thing that you get in this dark black hole of pain or grief or suffering and you begin to think that that thing is all there is. And you begin to feel like I'm the only person who's ever felt this way before. No, you're not. No, you're not. And we can get so locked into that black cloud that we forget there are 7 billion people on the earth. And most people are going through very similar circumstances that we go through. So when some terrible thing happens to us or to someone we love, or when we're sick, or when grief comes our way, that doesn't mean God has changed. God doesn't change. Don't project onto God your feelings. And so when you are suffering or in a difficult circumstance, God's goodness does not go away. The Bible says God is good. He is good. He loves us with an everlasting love. And so trust that the will of God is good. You can trust him in that. Even when you don't understand it or you can't see how it's going to be good and you don't feel good, God is good and his will is good. This is something that should be settled in the heart of faith. This really is at the center of faith. Because if you have faith in God, you're saying, I trust God. I trust him because of who he is. And that is not going to change. That doesn't mean things will be easy. It wasn't easy for Abram to go through many of the things he went through. But he trusted God. And when he told Lot, you make the choice and I'll go the other direction, he was trusting that if, if Lot chose to go towards Sodom, then that meant God wanted him to go the other way and it would be all right. Why? Because God was good. He believed in the essential goodness of God. And so should we. God can be trusted to do what is right. And so I'm not saying never you know, that a person should never have any questions or uh, doubt, if you want to use the word doubt. But I think as we grow in our faith, we should come to the place where 
though we may have questions and it's difficult, we still trust that God is good because that's who he is. And no circumstance of one person out of seven billion on the face of the earth means that God has changed. His nature has changed just because of my circumstance. We need to lift our eyes above our own selves enough to see that God is far bigger than the circumstances that we face. Abram had found that the will of God brought him to the land of Canaan and that would be good. And then in chapter 14, following on the heels of this, we see that faith brings contentment with God's provision. Now really we, we see that with chapter 13 too because Abram was willing to say, Lot, you go where you want to go and I'll be satisfied with what's left. Uh, he trusted in the provision of God. But then we see it reflected even more deeply in chapter 14. Now, we don't have time to read the entire chapter. Let me summarize some of chapter 14, and then we'll read some of the verses too. The movement of Lot, when he went towards Sodom, it eventually brought great pain to his life. After a while, he found himself living in Sodom. And when a war broke out between the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and some other cities, and you can read all those names in the early part of chapter 14, Lot found himself caught in the middle. In fact, it says in verse uh, 16, I believe it is, so he brought back all the goods. Well, he was taken captive. He and the king of Sodom, basically, were taken captive. All of his possessions carried away. Well, Abram heard about it, and he became which you might call the hero, the man of the hour. He used his servants that were under his command, and he made a surprise raid on the conquerors of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he rescued his nephew, Lot. So he'd gone his way. Lot had gone toward Sodom. Lot and the king of Sodom gets kidnapped. They get taken captive by these invading kings of other cities and carried into captivity, and Abram goes and rescues him. 318 men in Abram's army or company, his servants, but they proved to be more than adequate to deal with these invading, aggressive enemies. And it says there in verse 16, So he brought back all the goods and brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Cheder Olamer. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And the kings who were with him. And then we find a an interesting account of a figure called Melchizedek. And you've probably heard about Melchizedek. This is usually the only reason this chapter is looked at, because Melchizedek is mentioned. All the context of it is usually lost. And really the story of what was going on with Abram is kind of lost because of this strange figure that appears called Melchizedek. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine 
he was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, meaning Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Now, who in the world is this Melchizedek? Well, it says he's the king of Salem. And so uh, this, this uh, appearance of Melchizedek has caused many to wonder, was he just a king, just a king of, a, of another place, a city there? Or was he a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ? Is Melchizedek actually an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Now, why do people wonder about that? Well, because of the description here. He was priest of God Most High. Jesus is the great high priest. And then if you look over at Hebrews chapter 7. I can get that open. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. You have these verses that, that talk about Melchizedek over in the New Testament. Chapter, one, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. However, now if you just stop there, you think, wow, that really, it must be an Old Testament appearance of Christ. But verse 4 throws a little monkey wrench into it. Now consider how great this man was. This man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And so some believe Melchizedek, here's the bottom line. Some believe he was Christ appearing in the Old Testament. Abraham gave him a tithe. Do you notice here that tithing existed before the law? This is before the law was ever given to Moses. And Abraham gave a tithe, a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. That he was either an Old Testament appearance of Christ or he was a king of a city of the time and they did not have a genealogy of him. They did not know who his mother or his father was and he became a type of Jesus. That he became, as it were, like an illustration or an example of what Jesus would be like. That he would be without uh, beginning of days or end of life. 
And so the controversy rages and always will about exactly who was Melchizedek. But I think the most important thing, if you go back to chapter 14, is the way you see Abram being content with what he had. And that he was willing to give as an act of worship in order to honor God. That God had delivered him and Lot and even the king of Sodom. That God had blessed them and taken care of them. And that he was content with what God provided. Because look what it says back in chapter 14 of Genesis in verse 21. See, usually people stop with Melchizedek. But look at verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eschol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. You see, Abram was very content, wasn't he? with what God provided. Here was the king of Sodom trying to give him riches because he had delivered him. He had rescued him along with Lot. And Abram would not take anything from the king of Sodom. He didn't want to be beholden to the king of Sodom. He didn't want the king of Sodom to be able to say, I have made you rich. Abram was already rich, right? But you know rich people who don't mind getting richer, don't you? So that's not what kept Abram from taking these goods from the king of Sodom. It wasn't that he was already rich because rich people take more money all the time. No, he wanted to be totally dependent on God alone. He wouldn't even take a thread or a sandal strap because he wanted to be totally dedicated and dependent on the provision of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that beautiful? We should be willing to trust in the provision of God. Contentment. The New Testament, it talks about that we need to learn to be content. Paul, didn't he say, I've learned that whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Whether that was in prison or whether he was free whether he was in want or whether he had plenty, he had learned to trust in the provision of God. God promises to provide what we need to accomplish his will. He doesn't promise anything more. To give us what we need to accomplish his will. We need to learn to be content with that. And then closing with chapter 15, verse 1. Notice God's response. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am, your, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. You see, God himself was Abram's reward. He didn't need the reward from the king of Sodom. He already had his reward from the king of kings. That's who our reward is. 
That's where our provision comes from. That's who we can trust. And we can always know that he will do what is right. Will you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for this passage that shows us that we need you. We need to be dependent upon you and trust you. Lord, our circumstances many times will disorient us, will make us afraid, will make us question and wonder if we don't look beyond those circumstances to you with a heart of faith. Give us, Lord, a greater faith. Increase our faith day by day. And may we uh, increasingly trust you and look to you and depend upon you and trust you to do what is good and right in all things. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful people who are here tonight. They wouldn't be here on a Sunday night if they didn't love you and if they didn't love your word. And so we pray for them and ask that you will lead us now as we have our time of invitation. If there are any decisions that we need to make for you, publicly or privately, we ask that you lead us now. Make it plain to us what your will is and then help us to trust and obey. Because, Lord, we know that you are worthy of that trust and our obedience. For we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.